We are in the book of Matthew, studying the book of Matthew. Today, we are in Matthew 16. There's an outline for you uh, for us to talk together about this passage. You know, the uh, kind of the premise of this whole series, we're spending the whole year in Matthew, and the premise that we've been talking about is the difference between living your life self-centered over against choosing intentionally to live Jesus-centered. Uh, now, you, you have to think about that. I hope maybe you think about that through this whole service. Uh, where are you in relationship to Jesus? Now, self-centered is the idea. This whole, this whole idea is kind of the picture of a, of a bicycle wheel. And a bicycle wheel has the wheel on the outside, which is kind of representing our life. And then you got all these spokes there, but all the spokes have to be connected to something in the middle, right? And so you got this hub that's in the center. So in our analogy, you have to decide who's the hub, who's the authority, who's the one that's in charge. Um, our answer is that instead of Jesus or your spiritual life just being one of the spokes of your life, kind of like your money, your children, your family, your job, your hobbies, the things that you like to do. You know, we would call all those spokes, right? But Jesus don't like being a spoke. He wants to be the hub. And if you're the hub, he's either not in the wheel or maybe he's just one of the spokes on the outside. So you just kind of just apply that. Uh, so Matthew comes along and writes this gospel where he wants Jesus to be recognized and introduced as the king, the kingly Messiah, the God in the flesh that has come to walk among us. And he's asking you, what do you think about that? And will you decide to make Jesus the center and this chapter is profound. Uh, as a matter of fact, I would say that this chapter in Matthew is the turning point uh, in this gospel. Uh, you, you see at least two things in this chapter that we haven't seen before uh, when you're talking about the New Testament. The first one is that this is the first time that Jesus or anybody in the New Testament has mentioned the word church. Church. Uh, you know, up to this time, there was a Jewish faith and belief, uh, but Jesus came and turned all that around. You know, the whole sacrificial system, gone. The, 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 the church was going to be something different. And so Jesus mentions that uh, for the very first time. Also, in Matthew's case, this is the very first time that Jesus has mentioned in, in, the, in the printed word that he is going to the cross to be crucified. And he says it out loud to his disciples. You, you would think those would be pretty big moments, don't you think? And so it's, uh, it's not just about parables and miracles and all. Now he's really getting down because he's beginning to, to move uh, in a different direction. You know, we've, uh, we've seen him introduce teaching kingdom principles. We, uh, lately, we've talked about parables and the different healing that he has done. We've seen him in the last... Uh, chapter or so, uh, do the miracle of feeding the 5,000, walk on the water, and right at the end of chapter 15 last week, we see him uh, feeding the 4,000. So we got these great, incredible uh, miracles uh, that are being done, that are being accomplished uh, by the Lord. So uh, in this intro, we see 16, um, 
he is greeted by some great opposition that is coming against him. They are really ready to pounce on him and bring him about crucifixion to him ultimately. But Jesus is ready to move on. He mentions the New Testament church. So Matthew 16 is the central chapter in Matthew's proclamation of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It's a high point in our spiritual understanding of who he is, why he came, and who he calls us to be. So Matthew 16 uh, begins on the shore of the Sea of Galilee uh, in a region called Mag Magden, Magadan, which is where Mary of Magdala was from. Uh, Jesus is returning from this, uh, working in his Gentile area. He has fed the 5,000, the 4,000, and now he's being addressed uh, by, these, um, by these men. Now there's some characters that we meet in verses 1 through 12, in the beginning of it. Uh, we've met them before, but he's kind of highlighting now who these people are. Uh, we, we, the characters in 1 through 12, uh, the first group is the Pharisees, and we see them uh, throughout the, the New Testament in the life of Jesus. Um, these, these guys are religious leaders. Now, uh, these two I'm going to talk about, I'll go ahead and tell you the second one is the Pharisees and then the Sadducees. So we got the Pharisees, they are conservative. Um, let's see how I could describe this for you. This, this is basically like religious government, Pharisees and Sadducees. So it's pretty much like Democrats and Republicans, right? The, the Pharisees were conservative. Uh, they were all uh, rule, rule keepers. You know, all of us in this room, you're either rule keeper, rule bender, or rule breaker, right? You had to find yourself in there because you probably live with somebody of a different sort, right? Well, we do at our house. You know, I live with a rule keeper. You know what it's like to live with a person like that? She's not here, so I won't say much about it. But, you know, <laughs> like I don't have any trouble knowing what the right decision is in virtually anything we do. If there's a rule like where to park or something like that, you know, Again, I won't get into all that, but I'm just saying, um, the Pharisees, let's get back on point here. The Pharisees were rule keepers. They kept all the rules, and they felt like that, that as, as conservative leaders, that if everybody kept all the rules, everything would work out perfectly. And they were not only the rule keepers, they were pretty much the rule makers. And so rule makers rule keepers together, they think that if they control everybody and make everybody do, the, do what they want, then everything will be right. So that's, that's kind of how they governed religiously in the people. Now, secondly, you have, um, oh, and, and their focus, so is on self-righteousness. Um, they felt like if they kept all the rules, if they were self-righteous, then they would be right with God. That was their view of a relationship with God. Now, number two, you got the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees were uh, completely different, almost exactly opposite. They were liberal, um, and their focus was like self-indulgence. And what I mean by that is that they, they felt like that, um, well, for instance, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. So they, they didn't believe in the resurrection. So therefore, if there's no resurrection, if there's no like eternity to worry about, then let's just live our life however we want to here because that's all there is. And if we can do it with wealth, that's even better. 
So that's, that's the Sadducees. Let's just live it up, uh, liberal focus, um, steer, you know, but uh, living in a way that would uh, be able to please God even outside of, of what God wants. Uh, so they wanted to, uh, to be religious, but to do it in their own terms, in their own ways. You know, you got Pharisees and Sadducees still today, don't you? Yeah, we got people that think they can keep all the rules, and that's how we're going to get. Or there's a lot of people that say, I, I want to be religious. I want to fulfill this spiritual part of who I am, but I want to do it on my own terms. I want to do it in my own way. Um, so, you know, you kind of miss that, that spot in the middle. And the spot in the middle is why Jesus came. Jesus came to say, you can't just live legalistically and, and make your way to heaven. Uh, you can't just decide to do it on your own terms. There has to be a relationship with this God. And that's why he showed up, to say that this relationship that I have with the Father is what you need to have. Uh, so he began to, uh, to help them. Now, um, I was on an airplane the other day, and I'm sitting by this guy, and I shook hands with him. And uh, I knew right away... This was an interesting situation because like five or six guys get on and they're just guys like going on a fishing trip. All the wives are doing something else and here it is. And I thought, oh my goodness. And, uh, you know, he's about 30 years old. And uh, so um, I met him. Uh, he asked me what I did, told him I was a pastor. And it wasn't very long he had his hat down over his face <laughs> like that. So I, I thought, well, good luck with this one. So I said, uh, a little bit, he, he, uh, he said, okay, what kind of church you pastor? And I thought, okay, we fixing to have the conversation. Uh, and so, um, you, know, I talk, you know, he asked me if Nazarene was all kind of crazy things where he had no idea. So I told him what we were as a Nazarene. Then I realized he was principal of a, a school. And I got really interested. I thought, hey, hey, you know, you got to be sensible to be a principal. You know, you can't just be a crazy person. Um, so I was excited to see what he had to say. So here's what he wanted to know. He wanted to know how I felt about the church being involved with the school. And the reason he was asking me that was that he had a strong relationship with this large church in his community that was helping his school. And man, he really liked that. I said, Were you? at some point he mentioned our pastor, he said. And I thought, I wonder if he's talking about that pastor. That, uh, I said, you said our pastor. And I said, uh, where do you go to church? He said, oh, I don't go. My wife goes, and he named it, and my wife and the kids and all that. And right then, man, it's like a punch to my stomach. And I said, okay, Lord. I so um, I just thought how interesting it is how that we, we decide that we're going to fulfill whatever connection we have to spiritual things, and we decide to do it in our own terms. If it can fulfill and help me out. Like, I don't need to go to church, but, you know, if I ever, if somebody ever dies, you know, maybe we need the church or we need a pastor or we need, a, and, and, and a lot of people live their lives like that. Just little blips along the way where they need spiritual connection. And man, he was really happy that this, that this group was helping them and they hardly, you know, just like us. I mean, it was a church just like us doing all these different things. I mentioned things we've done and, and been a part of, and he gave me some ideas, um, They'll get nervous over there in just a second if I start saying that. Got some ideas about things we could do. And so um, I just thought it was so interesting. So I said, we're getting ready to come down. I said, um, am I going to freak you out if I pray for you? And he said, yes, you will. <laughs> so, so I said, all right. 
I'm going to pray for you. But I thought, here, here's, a, here's a sensible man, a principal. I mean, we had a huge discussion about education and what was happening in our state and um, just, just all kinds of things about that. And yet I could tell so clearly that only on his own terms was he going to deal with spiritual things. I encouraged him, please go to church with your family. I told him about man church and how I feel about that. And he said, his comment was, my wife would like that. I said, yes, she would. But you got to get beyond God on your own terms and decide who is Jesus. Where does Jesus fit in uh, to my life? Are you, are you with me here? Because I'm not talking to Matt right now. I'm talking to you. Where, where is Jesus? So you got the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and then these disciples. Uh, disciples is the third group uh, that is in 1 through 12 there where um, we see these disciples in verse 5 that are being talked about as, uh, you know, they don't get it all the time. I mean, they've seen these miraculous uh, feedings that have happened. Uh, but they're not, they're not, you know, the Pharisees, Sadducees, they're looking for signs. You know, they, they, they want God to show them something. I mean, what more signs do you need than feed 5,000, feed 4,000, walk on water within just a few days of each other? I mean, if that happened here, I mean, it'd be in the news, wouldn't it? <laughs> but they, that wasn't enough. And, and so he's talking to them about the, the, the yeast of the Pharisees, talking about their false teaching. And he, you, you know what their comment is? Oh, man, we forgot to bring bread. I mean, if you know that the guy just fed 5,000 bread, I don't think I'm worried about whether I brought bread or not. And he said, that's not even what I'm talking about. He, he's talking about recognizing their own sense of self-denial, uh, crucifying themselves for the glory of God. So, so you got these three people. you got the Pharisees, rule keepers. you got Sadducees. These are uh, these liberal, self-indulgent. And you got the disciples who are in, in just really involved in self-denial, trying to figure out uh, how, do we, how do we live out this relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. So when you get to verse 13, 13 through 28 is really one of the most incredible sections of scripture in the Bible. Uh, and so uh, we're going to read it together. I'll read it for you and then we'll talk about it. Uh, I think it's so amazing that we should stand up when we read it. We probably should stand up more often. Let's stand together. And would you uh, be looking at this scripture and think about it with me? And I'll read it for us. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, of course. Uh, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, 
Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some of who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Bless his word to us. You can be seated. Jesus takes time here to um, describe for these disciples. He says things like, uh, who do people say that I am? So he's doing a little survey of these disciples. Some say that he was John the Baptist, thinking that John the Baptist kind of come back from the dead. That was a belief. Uh, some say Elijah, same kind of thing. Elijah's died. Is he the prophet that has come back? Uh, Jeremiah, or just one of the prophets, or a prophet. Uh, so he's, he's asking them questions uh, about uh, what they believe, what they've come to understand, uh, who he is. So where, where do they stand? Where are they? Who do you say that I am? It's really uh, such an incredible question, a question Jesus has for them, a question Jesus has for me, a question that he has for you. Who do you say that I am? Today, he, he might even ask that same question. What does the culture say? What do the people around us say? What do the people in your family say? What do others say about who Jesus is? And we could come up with a whole list, couldn't we? All kind of answers from nothing to just name it. Um, he asked the most important question, who do you say that I am? And so then we have this response from Peter. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Uh, he is, you know, Jesus is the most important person that ever lived. Uh, nothing matters outside of your decision about Jesus. Um, you know, I'm all kind of applying as I'm going along here, but I want you thinking about your answer to that question. Because you might have the question, who am I going to marry? Where am I going to go to school? What kind of house am I going to buy? Where am I going to live? Uh, what about my retirement? What, uh, what's on my bucket list for trips? You know, all those kind of things and a bunch of other ones. Those are all important questions, interesting things that we make decisions about in our life. But nothing is more important than who Jesus is. You believe that? that that's what he says. Peter says, you're the son of the living God. Jesus says, you didn't come up with that on your own. Uh, that has been revealed to you uh, by God. So he's reminding us that, you know, we don't come to grips with who Jesus is uh, by ourselves. 
You know, you might have learned it from your grandma or from your mama or your dad or a pastor or some friend in your life uh, that loved you. But we believe that uh, if, if I respond to God, I respond to God because God has touched me already. You know, I just didn't, you know, I wasn't smart enough to get it all figured out. Um, you know, he comes to us when we're ready, when our heart is open. So uh, however you got saved, however you came to God in some way, you came to God because God was, God was touching you on the shoulder. God was getting your attention. God was touching your heart. God was bringing you to the place where you realize there's something way bigger going on than just me here. Um, so he's reminding him that, uh, that ca- that's how it came. It came from God. So there's several things we can learn here. Kind of walk through these quickly. First of all, um, the church is the community of people who know Jesus intimately who know Jesus. So that's this whole conversation about knowing who he is. So that's, that's who we are as the church. We talked about it a few minutes ago about being the body of Christ in this place. Um, what, what makes it where a person would join the church? Um, many of you have joined the church. Many of you are part of this church. You've been coming for this church. What makes it possible for you to be a, a part of the church? We are the church because we have chosen to know Jesus intimately. Uh, we're not a club. We're not just, just coming around here just singing some songs or just because you feel like you ought to come to church. I know that rule keeping. I get it. Um, you know, but that's not why we're here. We're here because we have chosen to know Jesus intimately. If you come here very often, you know it's the primary theme of what we talk about around here. I mean, whether you go to Sunday school class, you go to youth group, you're in kid zone, you come to worship service, you can come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, anytime we have, whatever we're, whatever we're talking about, it's all connected to Jesus being the center and us knowing him uh, more intimately, uh, teaching his word. So uh, that's, he mentions uh, that he is going to build uh, his church. He says, and so the church is this community of people who know Jesus intimately. You know, a true understanding of Jesus doesn't come on our own. It comes from God. Uh, he gives us uh, the, the ability to understand uh, who he is, and we recognize him. He says that to Peter. He says, uh, human flesh didn't reveal this to you. You didn't come up with that on your own. It came from God alone. So a true understanding of Jesus comes from me it's that one out. It's not a human idea. No, it's God alone. Third, who you say Jesus is, who you say Jesus is will determine everything about how you follow him, everything about how you follow him. So recognizing who he is, uh, you know, if you think that Jesus is a great teacher, then you'll respond to him as a teacher. If you think that he was just a guy that had some good moral ideas, then maybe you'll think about him once in a while. If you think that he is simply the Uh, an example to follow, then you might think about him once in a while. But Jesus is the Lord and Savior of the world. And he he desires to be followed. He calls us to follow him. He offers salvation to us. And he is uh, your Savior. If he's not your Savior, then he's really nothing. Because that's what he came to be. Savior and Lord of everybody that would turn to him. So he tells Peter, the church is a community of people who proclaim Jesus uh, confidently. 
We, we proclaim him with authority. Christ gives authority to the church. Uh, he encourages us to uh, be this proclaiming people uh, that are lifting up Peter, the one he's talking to here, uh, gets so transformed through the resurrection that he preaches the word and 3,000 people are saved and then the church devotes themselves to the apostles' teaching and to uh, thousands of people coming to Christ because they became this confident proclamation of the word of God. You know, we not only encourage people to know Jesus, we've, we explain it and express it boldly, right? We, no doubt about it. We long for you to know Jesus Christ. We are a church that is lifting him up. Why are we having a block party? So we can meet more people that we can tell about Jesus. Bottom line. You know, do I want to have fun? Yep. Am I going to get dunked in the dunk tank? Yes, I am. But that's not why we're doing it. We're doing it that we can continue this process of embracing uh, being the church and reaching out and making new friends with people that live in our community that you know, that you've invited, that ultimately we believe if they came to a block party, maybe go to a baseball game, maybe even come to Dragonland, they might decide to come here and ask you, what in the world's going on with this church? Church going to Dragonland? Church having a block party? Uh, maybe we could help them come to know Christ because we are a church because we publicly strongly, confidently proclaim Jesus Christ uh, as the Savior. Now, uh, who's the rock? Uh, you know, there's a little play on words going on here where Peter is, his name is being changed. His name was Simon, son of Jonah. That means he, Jonah was his daddy's name. And so uh, he is Simon, son of Jonah. Well, Jesus changed his name and says, from now on you are Peter. Peter, Petros. Um, and that means rock. Uh, so he says, uh, beginning with you and these disciples, we are going to uh, build our church. Now, um, you know, there's this play on words here, but the, the truth is the rock is not Peter. The rock is Jesus. Jesus is the one, you know, he, he says, uh, he doesn't say, um, I'm going to build your church. He says, I will build whose church? My church, he says. I'm going to build my church. Jesus is the center. Jesus is the focus. He is the rock. Uh, over and over, again, you see this in Scripture where all, there's all these metaphors that describe um, who Jesus is. He's the foundation. He's the cornerstone. Over and over again in the Scripture, it mentions that, that he is going to build his church. And he's not just building uh, a club to join. He is not just, he's building something that is based on his authority and who he is. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the savior. Jesus is Lord of the church. Uh, he is alone is the preeminent one. Jesus is the non-negotiable declaration of the church. Jesus uh, is the invincible mission of the church. He says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell cannot stop Jesus Christ and his church. So death and hell cannot stop Jesus Christ uh, and his church, his authority. Um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen uh, in this world. Some people think the world's about to blow up right now and, you know, who knows what's going to happen. I don't know if we're going to be here another hundred years or another thousand years, but one thing I know for sure, uh, this old government, I don't know what's going to happen to them, you know, like... One day it might be like Britain. Britain just decided, oh, let's just make a new government and we just start over again. I don't know how they're going to figure out all the stuff that's going on in our nation and around the world. But one thing I know for sure is the church will be here until Jesus comes. That's what he said. There's, there's uh, you know, 
the church is struggling somewhat uh, in some places. You know, we see uh, churches closing and all those kind of things. But the church worldwide is alive and well. People are getting converted more and more. Uh, More people know Jesus today than have ever known Christ in the history of the world. More people are getting saved today. Why? Because the church lives. The church is alive. This church is alive, don't you think? It's great. It's a a place where he's being lifted up and we're being part of the body, connected with him. So he he gives us some ideas here in the last part of these verses uh, as far as being genuine believers in Christ. As genuine believers in Jesus Christ, we, we die to ourselves. We deny ourselves, we die to ourselves, and recognize that Jesus is the sinner. You put aside self-righteousness, self-indulgence, everything that belongs to you, your desires, your ambitions, your thoughts, your dreams, your possessions. He says to be a genuine believer, we die to ourselves. As a genuine believer, we take up our cross. And it's interesting that that's his language. And he's just now beginning to talk about that. Take up our cross. Um, That would have brought to mind crucifixion. Someone carrying his cross was a dead man walking. Your life, as you once knew it, is over. So I die to myself to exalt him there. I put myself to the side so that he can be the hub, so that he's the center. A genuine believer in Jesus Christ, we die to ourselves. We take up our cross. As genuine believers in Christ, we follow Jesus. We follow his ways. We listen to what he teaches Uh, Over and over, we see him say, follow me, pursue me, uh, walk in my footsteps, walk according to my word, uh, adhere to my ways, trust in my power, live for my praise. You hear his echoes where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And it might sound foolish to the world, but that's how you find life. He said in verse 25, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loves his life because of me... uh, loses his life because of me, uh, will find it. Genuine believers die to themselves. Genuine believers take up their cross. Genuine believers follow Jesus. Genuine believers eagerly expect his return. Eagerly expect his return. Uh, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back to, to take his church. And he asks you this question. What good will it be For someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul. What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? There's this little, I printed this little uh, confession for you. It says, question, what is my only comfort in life and death? Answer, that I belong body and soul in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, man. Uh, This weekend... I went to see my mother, and uh, this week is the year of my dad's passing. And so uh, I went there, and man, it was hard <laughs> uh, being there. And um, so they wanted to watch. Uh, let me just let me set the scene for you. You ever you ever had that feeling where um, you know I don't live there, and so I live here, and I've been doing really well with it. I mean, uh, preached his sermon, his funeral, and all that, and it's so healing for me. You, you know, you kind of go back there, and it's like, you, and it's like the week of. You, you know what I'm talking about? It's, it's just so hard. So they want to watch this video, 
And, it's the video, and almost all of it is me preaching. I mean, it's got pictures and stuff at the beginning and the end. But then they got like 40 minutes of me preaching this. And I'm thinking, oh, I think, because I was doing good till I listened to myself talking about all this stuff. And I'm not going to go into all that. But one thing I realized was how grateful I am that two people who knew who Jesus was helped me know who Jesus is. Really grateful for that. Um, I don't know where I'd be without that, honestly. I mean, so I, want, I just wanted to ask you this. What, what if the Bible's true? Like if the Bible is true, and all that my parents taught me, and now that I've learned, and, and I, I mean, you're not going to meet anybody more passionate than me about who Jesus is. I mean, he is it. So I wanna, how do you answer? Who do you say that I am? What if, and here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that one day that you are going to stand before Jesus Christ himself, right? You believe that? That's what the Bible teaches. Now, here, here's who I'm talking to. Some of you, there's almost all of you in here, you're going to say yes to what I'm going to ask you. So I'm not really talking to you. Thank you very much. I'm happy that you're here, okay? But there might be a person or five or 50 sitting in this room that have not answered this question. Because what do you think is going to happen when you stand before Jesus Christ? Because you are. Nobody's exempt. Every person. He gave you life. He created you. And he's, there's going to be an exit interview. And he's not going to ask you, how much money did you make? How many good jobs did you have? What kind of car did you drive when you were down here? See, he knows all that stuff already. What he really wants to know. Suppose that the Bible's true and all he's interested in is who was I to you? Did you recognize that I gave my life for you? Did you recognize that I wasn't intended to be a spoke? I'm the hub. What are you going to do about that? If you're in this room and you're still doubtful about who Jesus is, I'm begging you. Figure it out. Get it right. I don't know if you've got a mom and dad that are, that are trying to show you how to do that. Like, like, I was so grateful about that for mine. But I'm telling you, you got me. You got us. You got people in your life. Trust Jesus. Give your whole life to Jesus. Not give your sins and everything that you've done, but not just that. Give everything to him because ultimately that's the only answer that's going to matter. That's it. You don't have to hear any more sermons. You don't have to, you know, I grew up listening to all these sermons, 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 sermons. You know, you know how we do all that. But this is the only answer that matters. And if you don't get this one right, you will not go to heaven. You will not end up in eternity because he only asks you to answer one question. One. Who do you say that I am? And this whole book of Matthew has been saying, I'm God in the flesh. 
I came to save you. I'm on my way to a cross that I'm going to give my life for you. Why are you thinking about seeing this? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Would you close your eyes? I'm going to pray. If you want to make that decision today, just tell him that. Right where you're seated. Tell him that Maybe, maybe you had it all messed up. Maybe you hadn't had it all figured out. Maybe, you, maybe you've been just trying to figure it out and do it in your own terms. And, you know, there's a spiritual part of you, but maybe it's, you know, maybe it's this religion or maybe it's that or maybe it's whatever. If the Bible's true, you'll stand before Jesus. Will you tell him he's the king of your life? You gave him everything. If you're in this room right now, nobody looking around, I just want you to let me pray for you. If you're in this room right now and you're saying, uh, before I walked in here, I don't know how I would have answered that, but now I'm trusting Christ as my Savior, and I'm doing that in this moment right now. Would you just lift your hand just to just get my attention? Thank you so much. So, so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're making that decision right now. I, thank you. Before I can, thank you. Before I came in here, it was all messed up. I didn't have that answer right, but I'm making that decision right now in this room. There's at least five of you. Anybody else? Balcony? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Heavenly Father, what a moment for us to come together here today. It, it's really that same moment that you had with the disciples. Who do you say that I am? And Lord, we, uh, we chose to join the church. <laughs> we joined the jo chose to join the body of Christ because we know the answer to this question. You are God in the flesh. You gave yourself for us to forgive us of our sins and then teach us how to live according to your kingdom principles and be the king, the center, the hub of our life. Lord, these seven people today, probably and a few others, are making a, a grand, bold decision. Thank you for that decision. I pray that everybody in this room would live out their lives knowing who Jesus is and giving our lives, dying to ourselves, taking up our cross following you, and eagerly expecting that you're going to return. We live for you today. We sacrifice and give of ourselves, anticipating who you are and what you're about to be in our lives. We thank you. We give you praise. And everybody in this room said together, amen. Praise the Lord.